I legitimately could not buy store-bought bread. And I had four babies. I could not buy the can of cream of chicken soup. Like I had to make it from scratch. It was so bad. And we're talking four and a half years of it. Sarah Grace Allred is the founder of Victress Marketing and host of the Victress Podcast. And she is disrupting marketing. If you are sick and tired of the bro marketing strategies, Sarah Grace will help you create a business that connects with women in a real authentic way. And she does this by only working 12 hours a week. But it wasn't always like that. In her path to having it all, the four kids, the great husband, the picket fence, she worked long and hard hours to grow her photography business and help her family make ends meet. So I got that camera, I got that photography class, and here I am, you know, 13 years later where I've actually done multiple photography businesses, launched a photography school and sold it and like have done all these things. But what it really, what it really showed me is you have got to practice agency. In this interview, I asked Sarah Grace about her own formative years and how she went from totally broke to totally boss by redefining marketing to women. Now, we had to cut the interview down for the podcast, but I kept the full interview inside our Uncut Vault, available only to our TGP insiders. In the full version, Sarah Grace shares her vulnerable journey postpartum, her real thoughts as a Christian in the online business world, and more details about how she came up with the Victress brand that serves so many women today. Become a TGP insider today and get the full story at theglobalphenomenon.com slash insider. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're getting ready to send the kids back to school, woohoo! Grab a glass of wine and celebrate them having a consistent place to go to every day. I don't know about you, but consistency is king at my house. Also, please head over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's my interview with the victress who'll save your marketing, Sarah Grace Allred. Welcome to The Global Phenomenon, the podcast about online coaching, the inspiring new career that has taken the world by storm, creating multiple self-made millionaires and opening the doors for regular folks like you and me to achieve our wildest dreams. Hi, my name is Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach for online coaches ready to live a rich, passionate, and abundant life without regrets. And I'm on a mission to uncover the secret sauce that made the top coaches in our industry rise to global phenomenon status so that you can be next. Today's episode begins now. Today we have the amazing Sarah Grace Allred. Sarah, I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so honored. I'm so honored. You guys, spoiler, I've been talking to her for like two or three minutes and I'm like, this is the space I want to be in for the next decade. I love Ina so much. Can I just interview you? Maybe we should do that. Okay. You know what? This is your space because I am really dying to dive into your story. Um, I do my homework. You will find that I do my homework when I dive in. And I can't wait to really drill into a few points in your story. But before we start, why don't you tell everybody what is it that you do and who you serve right now? 
Oh, I love that so much. So the people that I serve right now are CEOs that feel like they understand the foundations of marketing, but it's just not giving them the results that they want, that they're kind of frustrated and they're like, what the heck is going on? So I help them tap into the most powerful consumer on earth, which is women. So I'm a marketing to women specialist. That's what I do. Why don't we start way back? Can you please tell us where you were born and what your childhood was like? Ooh, this is an awesome topic Topic because it's actually very uplifting to me. So I was born in Northern Utah in United States of America and was the third of four daughters. So I've got older sisters and a younger sister and was born to Dean and Susan Madsen, who were truly remarkable, remarkable parents. My dad was a music professor. My mom um, was a religious author and wrote um, kind of historical books about our church's history and our faith's history. And so I actually grew up in a home that was filled with a ton of music, a ton of fun and culture, a ton of travel because of my dad. And I also grew up with a mom that worked, a mom that was that I'd walk into a bookstore and I would see her stuff on the shelf. And the beautiful part about that is uh, it became very ingrained on me early on that you could pursue your dreams and have a family and have a marriage and volunteer in your in your church and in those organizations. And that was really established for my parents early on. And the older and older I've gotten, you guys, I'm 40, literally turning 41 in two days of this recording. Okay. Oh, happy birthday. And- Thank you. Thank you. But as I grow older, I realize how rare that was, how rare that was to see a mom that had such incredible impact and incredible influence in her own identity. And also who I felt like I was the most important person to her, me and my three sisters. And so my childhood was full of culture and a mom that worked and a dad that, you know, brought music to life for us. And so I have just such gratitude for the very certainly privileged circumstances I grew up in. Yeah, middle class, but as far as love and richness of of experiences, man, I hit the lottery. Okay. And we're going to just, we're going to talk about this now because I really think it's a very important part of your story and of your life is you are in the Church of the Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormon Church. And the reason why, you know, I, I want to make sure our listeners know what I'm hearing here. Uh, because you're making it, you're making a very, very strong point saying, I grew up in a situation that was not usual, that I grew up watching powerful women publishing books, giving me the importance and the strength that I needed. Can you talk a little bit about that, that nuanced, right? Like that nuance, if everybody's listening right now, what do you see out there, other families being like, and why do you feel like it's so important for you to say, no, your situation was a little bit unique? Mm, I love that question so much. And I love how you bring in my own faith. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You guys know us as Mormons, which is awesome. And I'm happy to respond to that, right? Um, but re- but really, truly, especially within my faith, one of the things that we are taught that I firmly believe in is that one of the most exceptional things that we can do um, is honor that role as a mom. So if you make that decision to have kids, that you are gonna, you're going to own and embrace and thrive in that decision to be a mom. And I have always felt that way, whether that was influenced by my faith or my gut or my nature versus nurture, who knows, but I always was really, really committed to being a mom. And so there were a lot of years um, as I was like going into college and I was getting a degree and I was graduating and all those things where I started to question, like, am I going to be able to do everything that I desire? 
right? I want to have babies. I wanted four. I got four, you know, mm -hmm. I wanted those things. I didn't know that was coming to my future, but I also had a real desire to grow as a human in my career and in my faith and in travel and in these experiences. And so I feel like in my early twenties, I kind of was in crisis mode of like, am I pursuing my dreams so much that I'm actually neglecting or pushing off what really fulfills, which is relationships, bottom line. And I still believe that. And so it was a real struggle for me to, and a long process for me to actually accept the fact that my desires, I felt like came from a divine source. And mm -hmm. that um, if that divine source is as powerful as I believe him or her to be, then I will be blessed and endowed with those experiences that will help me have all of it and help me feel fulfilled by all of those things and keep me in check through the process. So hopefully that explains a little bit of, of my journey there. You were yeah. in this unique situation where, uh, you know, your your mother was out there like kicking butt and taking names, right? Like your mother right. was out there doing doing her thing and, and doing the right thing because these books that she was publishing, they were related to the religion, right? It's not like she was off doing something else. It was like right. she was creating more richness for the religion that you guys were in. Um, at the same time, she's out there fulfilling her desires. So I'm very curious to know, at which point did you start to realize that, wait, maybe this is not something that every family that I'm interacting with in my community is actually experiencing, right? Like, where mm. did that dissonance come from that, wait, am I supposed to pick one? Am I supposed to pick my desires versus having a family? When did you start to realize that there may be two different ideas here and that you need to, quote unquote, make a choice? Oh, this is so good. And I will attribute it to desperation. Mm -hmm. And what really happened is I got my degree in music education and I was like a band teacher. You guys, that was like my life. I was a band nerd for life. Here we go. What instrument? I was a clarinet player, right? Mm -hmm. That's like how I paid for college. And like what I majored in, I followed after my dad's footsteps, all those things. So when I graduated from college, I became a band director, marching band, percussion ensemble, the whole nine yards, you guys. Mm -hmm. DM me, we'll chat, we'll chat band if that's you, okay? Um, so <laughs> in that space, um, I taught for three years and then I got pregnant with my first baby. Her name is Macy. She is now 13, okay? And at that time, I had gone from a very career-driven, I was top of my class. I got the best job in the state. When I graduated, like I had just climbed the ladder, so to speak. Then I had this baby and I knew I, I, I made the personal choice for myself. I was like, I can't do this, nor do I want to try and combine the two. So I quit that job. I had this baby. And as I started to raise her, um, my mental health started to decline like big time. And this was 13 years ago when mental health, like kind of wasn't a thing or mm -hmm. talked about within my faith and within the world. Right. It just was right. kind of a, I'm what is going on with me? And luckily my husband was incredibly intuitive and started to witness my decline uh, of sadness and of unmotivated. And I was coping in weird ways and all this stuff. And in that experience, he did one thing. He bought me a used Nikon camera and a photography class. That's what he bought me. Okay. We were like poorest church mice people. So like, that's, that's what we did. Okay. Right. I like it, Terry, thinking about him, that he was so in tune that she needs something to make her feel like a human. 
right? As I had this beautiful baby who is one of my dearest friends, like she, I was holding this baby and I had lost something and I didn't know how to grieve it, or I didn't know how to, to grow anymore. And so motherhood was actually really challenging for me. And so I had the choice to either feel shameful about that and hide that or to see if there were other more healthy ways to cope, which was to grow and to figure out things. So I got that camera, I got that photography class, and here I am, you know, 13 years later where I've actually done multiple photography businesses, launched a photography school and sold it and like I've done all these things. But what it really what it really showed me is you have got to practice agency as a person. You have to practice choice. And whether it's your faith that you feel like is narrowing you or forcing you into a choice or whether it's family culture or whether it's financial circumstance that you think I have no choice, that's when we decline. That's when we lose our magic, right? And so my goal um, from that moment was really to hone in and say, wait a minute, look what my faith has taught me. And if there's anything my faith has taught me, it's that my desires are God-given are God given. And I am desiring to go big in business and I'm desiring to learn this craft and have beautiful babies. And so that's really what it came down to was everybody gets that choice. Everybody. And I will oh. never discourage anybody from selling it all and becoming a mom. I will never tell you not to do that. That is your call. And I will also not throw anybody out of the bus that decides to do both or that decides never to be a mom. It's all about respecting Enos choices, my choices, and just how can I help you in those choices you have made? That's my role as a coach. I'm sorry to hear that you were having such a hard time. It's it's not a unique story. So many people who are listening right now, they went through the same thing. Um, and I wonder, like, what was going through your mind at the time? Mm. I thought that I was broken. Um, I had waited, you know, 27 years to have a baby, right? 27 years um, when that baby came and I was shocked at how sad I was. And, and I now recognize that as something medical, you know, and as postpartum, I mean, let's call it what it was. Right. Um, and, and while I never did the route of medication or something like there was something so hard about being like, why is everyone figuring this out? And I am stupid. I am stupid. I am broken. I am not connected. And, and luckily by finding some of those external solutions or medication, whatever you decide um, to do, um, I, I did become a good mom and I did become a mom that is wildly crazy about her kids now. I'd love to hear about how did your husband land on photography of all things? Because it really was the beginning of a huge chain that we're going to be following the trail of. So why photography? Oh, uh, inspired, I would say probably inspired realistically, it was because it's something that he could imagine that I could do with the baby, right? That it would fulfill kind of both yeah. that even if what it did was fulfill me, I could take pictures of her and of our adventures together. And I think he thought very logically about it. How, how did you take it when he suggested it, when he bought you the camera and said, here, do this, what, what, what went through your mind? I think there was relief in the sense that he supported me exploring other things. Not many people could have taken that gift and just taken nice pictures, but yeah. you ended up creating a business out of this. And I'm very curious to know where did that spark come from? Where did that inspiration, that idea come from to like, maybe I can make money with this? 
Oh, I am like laughing so hard, Ina, because um, I have done hundreds of these and you are asking questions I've never been asked. And yet these are so, so, such important parts of my story and like I, why my business works now and all of these things. I'm just laughing so hard. I'm like, I need to redo like 200 interviews now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway. So as I think about that, um, the, the question around it of like, how did that spark? Well, again, it was sparked out of need like logical need. So my husband made, uh, we made the decision together that he was going to pursue medicine. So my husband is a physician and that process is, he went like to 26 years of school, right? I mean, we had 14 years of school um, that, that produced him to be a doctor. And those were 14 years of absolute poverty all across the country. And so I was driven to make money. And I think it's really important that if I can sit here and tell you about my postpartum depression, that I can also tell you that money was the driving factor. It was like not even to serve people, which is so embarrassing to say, okay, I'm in a much better space now, but I needed to make money so that we could have Christmas and we could travel to see family, like, let alone like by name brand bread. Okay. That's how bad it was. And so I was driven to make money and that's, and I said, what skill do I have and how can I market it online or how can I market it in my community? And that's where I started. I'm going to fast forward a little bit, but there is a part of the story that I really, really want to hear. You actually created a business with photography. You actually started a photography school with your business and you described it this way. And I would love to hear your reaction now. You said, this is a quote, but as far as management, my ability to run a business as a CEO, it was an absolute disaster, a full-blown disaster. I probably lost more friendships and made more mistakes while running that business than any other combination of experiences in my life. You said those words. And um, and I will put the link to where I got the source. I will put it in the show notes. But I'd love to know if it's, this is pretty, I mean, pretty out there. You're like out there saying like, wow, like I can think back on all of the mistakes, the friendships I lost. Can you tell us what was happening in that period of your life? Paint a picture for what this is describing. Oh yeah. It was sort of like the vision of what the photography school, that's where the disaster happened. The photography school, the vision was so big and so grand. And, um, I, you know, I wasn't, I couldn't flex enough to make it happen. I just wasn't smart enough yet. I didn't have enough experience. And so it was very, you know, from the ground up. And so the, the experiences that happened were centered around uh, my inability to lead, right? Mm -hmm. And my desire to just people please through the process instead of actually making decisions that will make a business work. And so if I were to like hone in, I know we're not here to talk about strategy, but let me just show you what I mean by not being smart enough or educated enough. So I hired like 15 photography instructors to work for me and create all of these different kinds of classes, newborn photography, you know, wedding photography, family photography, and also editing and Photoshop and all these different elements that really help a photographer take it to the next level. And, and this was in person, right? Not online classes, but in-person classes. This was online. Online this classes. This was Got online. It. So they were producing full-blown six-week classes that would, and giving feedback on homework and images. And it was just this incredible experience from like the bird's eye view. Um, conceptually, it was really brilliant. But one of the things that started to happen is I made two really big mistakes. Number one, all of a sudden I had 14 classes a year that I needed to market equally. Mm -hmm. Okay. No one in this room should have 14 products. 
as their first business. Do not. And if you do call me and I will help you. Okay. <laughs> um, but the other mistake that I made was financially. I wanted my instructors to feel very motivated that they were part of this vision. And so I told them that they would make 60% of when their classes sold and I would take home 40% which is really fun when they are the independent contractor and I am the one paying taxes for the business. So I pretty much made nothing. Okay. I literally was making out of like a $500 course in my pocket was 10 or $12. Not kidding. Wow. Okay? Because of how it was getting paid out. So I was doing everything 24 seven and I hid, I hid from my instructors. I hid from the truth and it was a disaster. And that's where you lose friendships is when you don't face what's true. What can you please tell me the story of actually selling that business mm -hmm. rather than just saying, okay, I'm just going to stop doing it. Oh, sure. So, I mean, strategy wise, I would recommend have it evaluate, evaluated in a real way, treat it like a real business, right? And um, and this is a business that while it was pulling in uh, multiple six figures a year, I was making nothing, you know? So mm -hmm. on paper, it looks really cool. Um, but I had insecurities about selling it because it wasn't structured properly. And so we actually leveraged a lot more of the like email and audience size of things when I sold it that yes, you get the content. Yes, you get XYZ classes and, and all of you have all of this ready, but the real value as we had it evaluated was actually how active and rich our email list was. But luckily someone bought it that, um, that really has good intentions to produce incredible photographers and what they really needed was an audience. And we were able to provide that. Where, at which point, and like, I'm going to throw a few things at you and I just need you to put them in a timeline for me. Okay. I need sure. you to like tell me the story. Sure. First of all is what happens after you have no photography business anymore, right? Mm. It's sold, it's done, right? Mm -hmm. Then comes the Women With Fire podcast. Very good. Ina. Right. I want to hear about that. Mm -hmm. uh, then I want to hear about you niching down, not just to women, but to LDS women, and mm. then start your latter day ladypreneur podcast, which eventually does get renamed. We'll get there. But starting that podcast, I'd love for you to connect the dots of uh, getting out of the photography business into the mm. podcast. Oh, love it. Love it. Love it. So when we finished the, uh, the photographer's element, that was the name of the, the online photography business. When we finished that and, and I had kind of given that away from my soul and was ready to move on. Um, one of the places I was at is I was fully aware that I wasn't smart enough to do the thing. Right. And I was kind of carrying that sort of baggage with me. Um, and so I had an opportunity with the women with fire to be part of a partnership. And so this was a partnership of a dear friend of mine, um, someone who is very savvy with social media and, and with business. And she had, you know, been involved with the photography business in some level and kind of understood my own gifts and talents. And so I felt like it was a pretty safe bet because then I would have a partner. Then I would have someone that would keep my feet to the fire. I could keep her feet to the fire. It would also help me hone in on my source of genius, which really is strategy and teaching and being live. Like it could help me really narrow in on that and she could narrow in on the other things. And so we started the women with fire and obviously my faith is a huge thread through so many of my decisions and it can continues to be for this day. Um, but it really was a response to try and give permission in a way, or at least a safe place to land for um, women of our faith who did feel that fire to start a business. As that progressed, as 
as that partnership progressed, we also started to prioritize different areas of the business. And it seemed like there was a pretty natural split. So we split that partnership. We dissolved the business. And um, I was again in a space where I felt like, okay, now I'm alone again. And am I smart enough to do it on my own? And I think I had feelings of this is sort of my time to prove it to myself. And can I really do this? And continually motivated by the fact that my husband is still pursuing the lifelong degree, right? And that I I wanted to do something impactful. And that's when um, I got started with Latter-day Ladypreneur, which um, was quite short-lived as I started to realize that my services um, were for entrepreneurs that were a little bit more established. You have done so many amazing, incredible things, right? Mm -hmm. That you have built businesses, you have sold businesses, you have made multiple six figures in businesses, you have done incredible things. And at the end of the line, like not even at the end, like in the middle of the line, you were still telling yourself, I'm just not smart enough. Can you please speak to those feelings a little bit? And, and looking back, how do you how do you see that? And what do you tell clients when they feel that way? Um, I think number one, if you were to ask the business world what you're supposed to do, when you feel like you're not smart enough, we are told then find the person who is. And I think that there are values there. There is value in finding a coach, you know, finding those people that that have fought the fight um, and that that are a little bit further ahead of you on the journey. I think there is huge value in that. And I think it's incomplete advice. I really do. I think everybody needs a mentor. I've got a mentor and I pay her dearly for it. Okay. I think it's super, super important, but I do think that the advice to just find the who that's going to solve your problem is largely incomplete. Um, I think where you talk about, we don't give ourselves credit. You know, we don't, we can't, why can't we see the exceptional things that we can do? All we, all we can see is the failures and all that kind of stuff. And I, I really, really believe that when we hear in the world that the past is the greatest predictor of future performance, I think it is garbage. I think it is totally untrue. And it is, you know, the dark side's way of stopping you, specifically women. Okay. I think women are most apt to remember and most apt to paint the picture ahead of them based upon their behavior in the past. And it is absolute garbage. Do not believe it for one more second. Okay. And the, the, the reason it is garbage is if your past is the greatest predictor of your future, it does not leave room for a savior. It does not leave room for God or deity or the Holy spirit, whatever you call it, whatever thing has called you to listen to this dang podcast. Okay. That thing, it is completely disregarded and shoved under the rug. If you believe that your past will determine your future, don't fall for it. Where did you get this Passion. Where did you get this vision? Anybody, any, anybody else would have stopped at any of the points that we have discussed today. And you're here still seeing that. You're still seeing there's something else. There's something better. I'm going to keep going. Where did that come from for you? I think it's important that we recognize principally that you will experience pain. You will experience it whether you grow a business and grow your movement or if you sit on your rear end. You're going to experience the pain. Ina has done it. I have done it. Every singer, every single listener here has experienced some form of pain either by stalling or by acting. 
And I think it's important to know that the pain is meant to move you. It is meant to pivot you. It is meant to communicate with you. It is meant to give you courage. It is meant to give you that fight or flight to escape. Like it is meant to be there. And so your life and the pain that you're experiencing is meant to be a leverage point for you. Mine was desperation financially. Okay. And I didn't want to share that from the beginning because it loses its flavor, but I legitimately could not buy store-bought bread. And I had four babies. I could not buy the can of cream of chicken soup. Like I had to make it from scratch. It was so bad. And we're talking four and a half years of it through residency. There was not a dime, right? Our Christmas tree came from the dump people. Okay. Like it was so bad. That became my why you have one, Ina, you have one. Like there is a deeper why there, right? And so that's my recommendation of like, why? What is that? And get after it. This is actually a really good point uh, because you're talking about some really, really epic points in your journey um, to bring up the hero's journey. This is a, a journey that I'm putting right in the show notes. It's something very popular. It's what Star Wars is based on. Every Disney movie is based on. It was popularized by Joseph Campbell, American writer and professor of literature. But you've in the past called attention to something called the heroine's journey, uh, which you have actually uh, rebranded because it's actually hard to say heroin without thinking of the drug heroin. Of the so, drug. Thank right? you. So let's just not say the word heroin in our lives every day. Uh, instead, you call it something else. Can you please tell us a little bit more about it? We call her the victress. We call her the victress. Way easier to say. And when you're married to a physician and he st starts hearing you talk about the heroin's journey, he is like, don't you dare. <laughs> Don't you dare go big with that. So we totally switched it because of the drug reference. So she is the victress. And you've rebranded your podcast from the Latter-day Ladypreneur podcast to the Victress podcast. Can you tell us why did you make the change? Oh, this is such an easy question. Yes, we made the change because everything that we are teaching about it, as far as understanding women and marketing and women in business was meant to be a global impact. And so we let go and, and I don't just serve members of my faith anymore. In fact, um, we've, we've kind of moved past that. I still have a lot of clients that I retained from that, but the message we are sharing is for anyone that is trying to increase impact on a female customer. So that's why we changed it. Tell me a little bit of what the difference is between the hero's journey and the victress's journey. Uh, Cause I really thought that was fascinating that it's, it's not the same thing. There is something very specific that the victress is doing that is really not, not outlined very well in the hero's journey. It seems to be unique to women. And I'd love for you to tell us that. Oh, I love it. I love it. And this is our bread and butter. This is us learning to understand this better um, helps us so much be able to help people build their lives personally and their businesses. And so really, when you start to compare from you know the left to the right, what are the differences between the hero's journey and the victor's journey? There are actually three significantly different parts of the victor's journey compared to the hero's journey. I'm just going to focus on one, one that I hope will help people in the room who feel like I just can't catch a break in my business or my life. And I happen to be a female or I have female customers specifically. And, and let me just put in a caveat, Ina, that I'm going to use the word gender as I talk about this. And that word is meant to be a marketing word right now. We're not having a conversation about religion or about politics or anything like that. And so this is meant to be a marketing discussion as we talk about this. So I just want to make sure that's very, very clear. I want to be hugely respectful. Um, and so with that in mind, the, the first major difference 
difference is to understand that it's really hard for the victorious to get out of the boat, so to speak, because we just talked about that. But it is really hard for women in general to take that initial step with businesses, specifically coaches. And here's how you can see it in film. And here's what it means for your life and your business and your marketing. So if we were to compare and contrast the hero's journey and the victor's journey with like Frodo and Moana, what we would witness is in the hero's journey, there is a hero that feels called to do something and he walks through the gate to start the journey. That's what he does, right? So, so Frodo is your hero. He feels called to like take care of this ring problem that's going on and he leaves the Shire with Sam to go do it, right? So he's sitting in the fellowship and they're all like, who's going to do this? And he stands up and he says, I will go to Mordor, though I do not know the way. And he starts his journey. It's like five minutes in, right? It's not five, but you know, you get me. So that starts. Well, let's talk a little bit about the hot mess of Moana. Okay. Moana is so incredibly different. So in the victress journey, there is a, there's a victress. She, she feels called to do something. And then right before she steps on the boat to go on the journey, she panics. She totally panics. And I, if you have not seen Moana, you guys plug it in, turn this off, go watch it and come back. Okay. Because so you have Moana, who is your victress. The, the, the calling that she has is to go in the ocean. She sings about it with her crazy grandma. Like she sings this song and Disney. Disney understands the differences between these journeys, which is so brilliant. So she sings about it. She feels so called, but literally in the middle of one of the songs, she is constantly having this identity crisis of like, I'm going to be the leader of my island. Yes, this is where I'm supposed to be. Oh my gosh, but the ocean is calling me. I love it so much. I need to go. And then she's like, no, I'm going to put on the crown. This is who I'm supposed to be. My family legacy. Here I am. And then the next one, and she's like sobbing on the rocks. Like I feel called. I don't know what to do. And that is legit the best way to visibly describe what your customers are going through when it comes to your business. And, and so that identity crisis is something that is not only like swept under the rug, but totally vacant when it comes to the hero's journey. This is not discussed. It's not discussed and is the number one point in which businesses lose customers and loyalty is if they don't understand how to address and solve, right? Address and solve the identity crisis that their amazing Moana is going through. So that's one example out of the three on how it is so significantly different and, and how you address that is a discussion for another day. I know we're not here to talk about strategy, um, but women, women are so different and Disney gets it. Can I ask you, what is the biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful businesswoman? I think the biggest misconception people have about me is that the things I have accomplished and learned, um, I was born with, that I was born with the ability to speak, born with the ability to lead, born with the ability to teach, and that could not be further from the truth. And I get really sad when I hear those comments because it's an identity moment for those people who witness that, where they think that because they don't have this charismatic ability to lead and teach and, and all these things that they, they are not cut out for it. And um, anything is figure outable anything is. And so that had to be my journey. And I hope that that gives them permission to let it become theirs as well. And finally, if Everybody had to do what you're about to tell them to do, and they have to do it in the next 24 hours. What would that thing be? 
What a powerful question. And full disclosure, I had to pause for a minute to think about this, to prepare with Ina. This is such a good question. Um, and in the world of marketing, marketing always feels like such a rep thing, like just try a bunch of stuff kind of thing. And that's what marketing can feel like. And so to narrow down on one thing that would make the biggest impact for them, um, I take that really, really seriously because this is people's times and lives and livelihood. And so the thing that I would recommend that every single person do is that they define the impossible thing that they are going to lock eyes on, that, that thing that you just couldn't let go of, that thing, that idea, that person that you were going to reach out to, like that stepping out onto the rough waters is one of the most important ways for you to reach the impossible. Taking that step of action instead of sitting in a space that is painful yet familiar and seemingly comfortable. Thank you so much. Seriously, Sarah, this has been an incredible conversation. It went by really fast. It did. What <laughs> right? the world? Yes. Um, you have been so open. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. And please tell everybody, where can they find you? How do they work with you? How do they plug into the wonderfulness that is Sarah Grace? Mm, I love it. I would just head straight over to victorisglobal.com. That is the best way to get immediate free resources. In fact, one of my favorite things that's up there a couple of weeks a month is you can take a quiz to see just how well is your business doing with women right now. And if you take that quiz, you and I will text back and forth to help you make some adjustments to help that magic start to happen and help your marketing be more refined. Um, so I would just head straight there to that homepage. That's the best way for you and I to connect. Sounds great. And we're going to put that link in the show notes so you can just click on it easily. And where can people follow you on social media? At Sarah Grace Live, Sarah with an H, Sarah Grace Live on Instagram. And I do run my own DM. So I would love to hear from anybody in how I can help them uh, move forward with the things that they're focused on. Thank you so much, Sarah. This has been amazing. Really so honored to have you. And really, thank you for sharing your story with us. It's been a joy. Thank you, Ina. Hey there, Ina here. After listening to this interview, you may be wondering what you missed. What did our guests share with me that was so hot? I couldn't even put it in the mainstream version of this podcast. Become a TGP Insider today and get access to all of our uncut interviews, as well as access to the behind the scenes of my six-figure coaching business through my Instagram close friend stories. Head over to theglobalphenomenon.com insider or click on the link in the show notes for all the details details. And I'll see you inside our Facebook community for online coaches, where you can share what's going on in your business and connect with other amazing coaches in this space. Go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash Facebook or click on the link in the show notes. And I'll see you on the next one.